programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, a part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, we're going to bring Keith Pompey in in a second as he joins us. Uh, he is just finishing up the press conference day after with Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers. Keith, how you doing, man? Thanks for taking the time. Anytime, fellas, anytime. When, when are you getting on the flight back down to Miami? <laughs> Scheduled. Uh, uh, unfortunately, next year. <laughs> you know, you I turn on the after pre, day after press conference and they, you know, Maury and Doc say their thing. And who's the man asking the first questions? Our guest today, Keith Pompey, asking about the weaknesses the team had. So I'm going to take a step back. What happened, Keith? This team won games three and four, looked great. Joel doesn't win the MVP. And then it's just done. <laughs> what happened in game five and game six? Yeah, I, I don't think him not winning the MVP had anything to do with it. Like, I know some people said that was the narrative. But Joe and I talked about a couple. I mean, we talked when we were in Toronto one day after shoot around. And he was like, Keith, you know I'm not going to get it. You know, I already know that. And I was like, yeah, you probably won't, you know, this and that. So I think the fact that it became official did not impact them. I think what happened is it's kind of like if you looked at it, um, you know, role players. And I know this is um, this is a little overblown, but it's true. Role players tend to play well at home and they do stuff. And I think that you got guys like George Niang who didn't show up. James Harden had one good game in his series, one good game. And I think after that one good game, he thought he was Houston Rocket, James Harden, in the next game. And it just went south. Um, you know, Danny Green kind of struggled that. And I also felt like when Danny Green went down, and there was a lot of people who disagreed with me, but I felt like with their lack of depth, when Danny Green went down in game six, it was over. Because you don't have anybody who can make a consistent three. You had to rely heavily on Matisse Thibel, who's a one-sided player. And I just felt like they had nothing after that. That's what I felt like. Look, you were in the building. I was in the building. The building looked like it wanted to erupt and it couldn't. And it would just, as a fan, it just seemed like, like they were lethargic. Like they came into that game literally from the jump with no energy. Yeah, I mean, it, it was no energy, but they, they, I think they were a little bit, they were a little probably worn down. I mean, when you, you, you think about this team, and, and I'm not trying to be, I'm not saying anything that nobody doesn't know. Um, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to take a shot at this team or anything. But if you take Joel Embiid off of that team, even with James Harden, they're a play-in team. They're like battling for the 10th, 8th, you know, the, the ninth, you, you know what I'm saying? They're like that squad. And I felt like that once we, I mean, we saw that. I mean, we, 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 we saw that. Uh, they're just not that good, dude. And you look at the Miami Heat and they got dog, they have dogs on that team. They take Jimmy Butler's personality. Um, all Kyle Lowry 
killed him as much as I love him. He killed him when the two games he played. And you look at that bench that they have, and you're saying, hold up, you're bringing Tyler Hero off the bench? You're bringing Victor Oladipo off the bench? Like, whenever they mitched and did the match, and you know how, you know, you start staggering the starting lineup. I mean, they had guys in there who were all starters at other places in that lineup. So, you know, I, I just think that the Sixers didn't have it. They, they, yeah, they may look lethargic, I think, but they also knew, you know, it's kind of like when you go in a fight with Mike Tyson, you kind of know that if this, this is going to end well, right? And I think that as Doc, I mean, as Brett Brown used to say, pre-mortem, how are we going to die? They knew that they were going to die. You know, you asked Daryl Morey if James Harden is more a facilitator going forward. James seems to think that an offseason will help him. All I know is watching last night, he went 22 minutes in the second half and attempted just one shot. He had two shots in the whole game. His last made bucket was with three minutes at the three minute mark of the second quarter. And it was the only game in his whole career that he did not attempt any free throws. So what happened with James Harden? Because there were so many times where he looked lethargic on passes, lethargic on rebounding. Now, maybe you can tell me it was Miami having more hustle, but it looked like it took two to tango there and Harden just wasn't chasing after when something went wrong or wasn't chasing after the rebound. Yeah, he looked like a guy who was defeated. Like, I didn't like his body language. I didn't like his effort towards the end. Like, you know, I, I, he just looked like a guy that knew that they were going to lose. And he just, I'm not saying he quit, but he just didn't look like he had, he gave the effort. You know, you looked at guys like Tyrese Maxey, who was fighting all the way through. Um, Shake Milton, fighting all, fighting all the way through. And James just looked like a guy that's like, you know, we know is over, you know, and, and I just didn't like seeing what I saw. Um, like you said, he didn't attempt a, a free throw. Um, but the thing that really disturbed me more than that was, you know, here's a guy that the 76ers has said is going to help lead them to the championship. He's a guy who they said is going to be the second star, going to be the closer. Well, he only had two shots in the second half and missed both of them. I mean, the first half, four for seven, three for five on threes, 11 points. You say, wow, that's a pretty good, solid first half. Well, in the second half, he was supposed to step up, and he didn't. It just seemed like, you know, he became Ben Simmons, you know, in the second half, it looked like. Yeah, and it wasn't just the second half of this game. He had 34 points in the second half of the playoffs. He, he, he just... I'm not sure what's going on, but you're, we'll get into what happens next. But the whole point of getting rid of Ben, other than he was a malcontent, is you wanted somebody who would contribute coming down the stretch, and we didn't seem to get that. And I'm not sure the optimism that Daryl Morey has or, or the BS he was slinging at you about the flexibility they have with the cap and all this other stuff, but I, I don't know how they fix it. What, what do they do for that? Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, that's tough. I got to look at the cap thing. Um, I, I think now they do have a lot of guys like the Shake Miltons, uh, you know, the B-Ball Pauls of the world, guys like that, Charles Bassies. You know, uh, I even think Isaiah Joe, I'm not 100% sure, but I think they come off the books. Danny Green will probably come off the books with that injury, right? Um, so, you know, I hate to say it, a great guy, but this is – 
a doggy dog world, right? Maybe you might keep them and try to trade them, but at the same time, um, you know, I think they have a little flexibility, but the problem is like, are you gonna be able, if you, are you gonna be able to go out there and get a guy who can contribute? And what I mean by that is like a lot of times in the NBA, like, yeah, they say, oh yeah, you saying you can win a ring? I could win a ring. Okay, that's great. But how much money are you going to pay me? This other team is saying they're going to pay me $5 million more. You know what I mean? So, you know, yes, you may be able to get players, but is it still going to be the same thing? Like you went out there and you got Andre Drummond because on a minimum, because he was really good friends with Doc, Doc Rivers. You know, you got George Niang on what you got him with because there was no other teams. What happens when it becomes a bidding war and there's another team and they say, hey, come here, we'll, we'll pay you and we'll have a legit team. And that's the thing. So it all sounds good like afterwards, because let's face it, you turn on radio, talk radio, like you listen to from here now, and everyone's talking about the doom and gloom. You know, you, you look on TV, it's the doom and gloom. So of course, the press conference is going to be, you know what, we got a lot of flexibility, we could go out there and we can get people. But, you know, outside of, uh, you know, like when we look at the people that they brought in the last couple of years, I mean, yes, they got James Harden, but it's not the same James Harden. They got George Hill. Uh, you know, not that wasn't too good. Then it was another guy who I forget his name right now that they picked up in the buyout market. So there's nothing out there that's really showing us that they're going to be able to go out there and free agency and bring in somebody solid. Now, George Niang was a big pickup. He struggled in the postseason, um, but there's nothing out there that's telling me that the Sixers are going to be able to outbid someone or even lure someone in here in free agency that's going to make an impact right now. Well, that's that's one of the other problems is it's not even just the outbidding. It's, you know, this has become a recruitment process, players recruiting other players. Mm -hmm. James Harden doesn't exactly have a long history of getting along with his teammates. I mean, when he, when he was at Houston, he wanted Chris Paul out. When he was at Houston, he wanted Russell Westbrook there, and then that issue happened. And then he, gets to, then he, then he sulks his way out of Houston, gets to, to New Jersey, or not New Jersey, that makes me old, um, Brooklyn, <laughs> and, and has an issue there. And he gets here, and he doesn't seem like he's exactly bonded with his teammates either. I mean, yesterday... I don't know what the issue was, but there was a point at which Maxi threw something down on the ground after talking to Hart. So are people going to want to play with Hart? You know, I don't think it's all about Hart right about now. I think it's all about Embiid. You know what I mean? Like right now, it's kind of like, you know, you know, it, it, Harden is a tough sell. But when you look at how, they, how they're playing and you saw Maxi threw something down, and that could have been frustration like, dude, get your head into the game, right? But I think right now, you know, Harden is like in the Houston situation, he was the focal point. There's nothing that he did yesterday or he did in his playoff series um, that was going to tell me that, yo, I'm coming here and I got to really like, you know, be with Harden. Now, again, the only, he does have the ball in his hands, but I think it's all about Embiid and Maxi. Do you want to play with them more so than Harden right about now? I mean, because, I mean, has he shown you anything for somebody to say? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you go, 
you know, it's like you go on the court and it used to be this guy on the court that used to be the man. And then there's a young dude and back in the day, everybody used to dap him up. Then all of a sudden they just walking past him and going to someone else. Like, I don't think that he still has that cachet on this team. It's now been 10 years since Doc Rivers made it out of the second round. In that time, he's coached Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and James Harden. Not for lack of star power. Uh, he thinks he did a terrific job, according to his press conference last night, and we can write the headlines as we'd like. Today, he got a seal of approval, it sounded like, from Daryl Morey. I enjoyed your follow-up where he asked if you were strenuously objecting to see why he thought he was such a great coach. Uh, can you explain to me and our listeners why Daryl Morey and everybody is so infatuated with Doc Rivers, if they actually are? Because I don't see it. You know, you know, here's the thing. I don't even know, like, if... Like, sometimes you have these press conferences right now and people say things and it sounds great and we all write it. We all write it. Because... Hey, he said it, right? But that doesn't mean anything can can change. Like, you know, like for instance, you know, let's say if the Lakers say, hey, look, can we interview Doc Rivers? And the Sixers look at that and they say to themselves, hey, you know what? We got three years, $24 million. We can get this, we can get this out of here and we can bring in uh, and, and uh, Dan Tony, right? Uh, Mike D'Antoni like so what he says today is kind of like and here's the thing and, and it's nothing against Daryl Morey but you remember there was a time when Daryl Morey came out on the record and said we're not trying to trade Ben Simmons yeah. and then next thing you know he tried to trade Ben Simmons so yes he said what he said today but that doesn't mean that is that he has a hundred percent confidence he he wants you to think that he has a hundred percent confidence you know but Look, that makes sense to you? Yeah. Oh, believe me, you know, I worked in and around politics for 20 years. I'm very good at people saying something without saying anything and not answering any questions and then going back on it and hoping not to be called out on it. So um, I understand that. To me, it would just seem the best thing for the Sixers if the Lakers want him to get out of the contract and do something new. But what I don't understand, what I've asked Jeff is, how does Joel Embiid fit in a Mike D'Antoni offense when he barely gets under the net in this kind of offense is that the coach i know harden seems to like him according to reports but is that the guy that can do what they need to do uh you know what it, it, it's it's, it's kind of here's the thing about doc i know i know a, a lot of people don't like Doc, but i can't blame anything on this on doc because i'm just going to tell you this when they played miami and we talked about it before when they played miami and you see the two dudes coming off the bench or three or what have you. Like Duncan Robinson only played one game. Duncan Robinson would have been the starting small forward for the Sixers, right? He would have been the starting small forward for the Sixers. So he only And their defense still would have stunk. Huh? And their defense still would have stunk. Yeah, but he would have right. had a bunch of threes. But see, the, the thing is like, Doc Rivers went into a gunfight with a butter knife. Now, one of those butter knives you got from Chick-fil-A. Like the plastic ones that crack, like when you when you try to cut the chicken and the chicken might be too hard and it cracks. That's what he had. And and then you look at James Harden, like James Harden was supposed to be the difference and he wasn't. So I get what you're saying about Doc, but this team, I don't think Red Arback could have could have uh got them to the Eastern Conference Finals. 
I just don't. I, I don't. I mean, if you want to be real, like, I don't see it. You know what I mean? And it sure as heck wouldn't have been a Michigan coach getting them there. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. You, do, do you not think Jawan Howard would be a better coach for this team? Look, man, I don't, I, I don't want him leaving. Rock but... Knee. Uh, 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 I don't think a reincarnation of Newt Rockney um, and and uh, the, the Red Arrow back, uh, the, the the greatest coach of the Yankees, and and uh, what's the what's the coach of uh, Ohio State football? What was the dude? The old name, the legend. What's his name? Who? Oh, Urban Meyer? No, no. Oh. Back in the day, the guy who like got fired for like Woody. messing with the guy's face. Oh, Woody Hayes. Yeah, Woody Hayes. I don't think a blend of all three of those guys would have gotten this team out of the second round. And I understand that. Look, I didn't have expectations for a second round. Sorry, I cut Jeff off again. Jeff wants to talk. Go ahead, Jeff. I'll stop asking questions here. Hey, hey, hey Jeff, could Bo Beckler get him out of the second round? Not now. <laughs> I, I just don't. I didn't see them make any adjustments. Jimmy Butler was killing him. When did they go to double him? Like, they always left one man on him. It was clear no one man was going to cover him. Danny Green was never going to stay with James with Jimmy Butler. Maurice, Mark uh, Thibel, as good as he is, was not going to stay with him. It didn't seem like there were adjustments in rotations to what they were doing. It seemed like there were guys open all the time. I get you don't have resources, but when they switched to a zone defense in some of those games against the Heat, they slowed him down. Why didn't they do that more? Why did they go one-on-one? It just seems like I get you can't excuse the coach, but I, I just think that to not give him some responsibility for not using what he did have, which may have been a plastic knife from Chick-fil-A, but try and find a fork to go with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it, yeah, I, I, I get you. Um, I mean, the coach, you, you, you do give the coach some blame, but I think in this instance, I think the roster was just so bad. And also I, I feel like that, you know, I feel like James Harden wasn't a, a good fit. I feel like when they made that trade, I mean, the, the trade and they lost the backup center. They lost their best shooter. I feel like that put them back. I mean, we got to realize something. Before James Harden played in the game, they were in first place in the East. Like, they, they elevated first place. Now, again, if they would have beat the Detroit Pistons, they would have finished the season second in the East, right? So I, I understand all that. So... Um, you know, when, when we talk about all that, it, to me, it's just, um, it, it's just a lot, man. It, it's just a lot going on. And, and I feel like it's bigger than the coach. He's easy to blame. He's easy to blame. He is, but I feel like, and he is going to be the fall guy. If there is a fall guy, because they're not going to blame James Harden. They're not going to blame the roster. It's going to come down to him. But I think that is not fair for us to do that when you know all the stuff that they had to go through. Like yeah, but, yeah, but you you didn't even mention the guy that really should take the blame if this all goes south. And the guy that, the, that should take the blame is Daryl Morey because what happened as a result of bringing James, James Harden here wasn't only that you got a James Harden who's a shell of himself. You got James Harden and you gave up all of your depth to do it. How much, I'm not telling you that this, this team would have won a championship but how much better would this or deeper would this team have been if they had gotten CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons and still had Curry and still had Drummond as a backup at center? 
Yeah, I agree with you on that one. And it's funny because I was talking to certain people today and I said, you know, you guys would have been better off with that. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And then, um, you know, I'm not saying you guys said the Sixers would have been. And the people were looking at me like I was crazy. And then once I said, what I mean by that is, you know, you would have kept these people. And they were like, whoa, the Sixers would have kept them. They were like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I, I get it. I get it. You know, so that was crazy. That I mean, that was, you know, a bad situation. And that the trade just didn't work out. I mean, you go to a thing and you're fired up about, um, you know, getting who you got. And it just seems like you you lost too much. All right. Well, Keith, I'm going to ask you to go in the way back machine and ju just make a judgment here based on all your basketball knowledge. What about 10 years ago, the Sixers traded right, traded away Drew Holiday for what ended up being Nerland's Noel. Would the Sixers be any worse if you had to look back in your crystal ball, if they had kept Drew Holiday and built around somebody like him and not have gone through this whole process? Uh, no, they wouldn't have been. They, they wouldn't have been any worse. I think they might have been better. You know, I, I do. I think the process really messed everything up. I'm not that, a fan. That had right. that team had Lou Williams, Nick Vucevic. Like that had some young guys who are players. Andre Iguodala, guys that have won titles with other teams. Like I know that we all went through the process, but I still don't understand. That team had beaten the Bulls. I know that there was an injury in the first round. They lost in the second round, but they didn't do any worse than any of these teams in the process era of it. So now you've got a team that you go into an off season that still hasn't won a title since, or made the conference finals. And since, or, since Allen Iverson and before that, Dr. J. And based on that, that's going to be a cliffhanger. And we're going to have a whole season off season that we get to talk to Keith about that, but that man's got to go right now. Go right. So just, Keith. He'll have all sorts of stuff to talk about with us as the as the off season goes on, but go get him. Go do it, Keith. All right, y'all. Peace. Thank Thanks you. For your stuff. Thank you, ma'am. Go Ohio State. Oh, really? Oh, then now you got to... Oh, he cut yeah. off. Okay, so that was beautiful. That so for was listeners who don't know how that happened. So Keith let Jeff know that he had to go write his story. Did the go Ohio State and then cut off before Jeff could get any response in on that. You believe that? I, I got him off the air so he could go break something. And, and he ends it with go Ohio. Oh. Do I apologize on the air for stealing all the questions? No. Okay. Well, I, don't, I don't want to talk to him anymore. <laughs> uh, well, I know you don't want to talk to him, but look, I just can't with the... I don't want to talk Sixers anymore. How's that? This, this, this season... Well, this show came to a grinding halt. This, this season went off the rails worse than the Flyers did because this, the expectations existed. Not according to, to Doc. Doc, can't, on his press conference last night, he said, nobody could have ever expected this from our team. I, I, like, that's Couldn't have expected what? Them to, they, they, the team, people didn't expect them to win a championship. People didn't have any expectations about them when they came in. Look, Jeff. You wait, know, wait, wait, wait. Time out, time out, time out. When you say came in, are you talking about before the Doc season started? Took, Doc took over. What? Doc took over as the coach, which I believe he took over for a Brett Brown team that had been in the playoffs. That he and was nobody could expect nobody could expect this team this That's year with the trades me. they made to at least contend as opposed to roll over. I think I might be able to put up with what Doc does on the court, court as a coach if I didn't have to listen to his um, tone with people. A good um, coach, a good coach time. comes out after a loss, and if he wants to protect his players, that's fine. Not this guy. He doesn't come out 
and and offer delusions. Well, he about- did. He did uh, prepare. You know, he got better than last year. He didn't throw Harden totally under the bus like he did Simmons last year. <laughs> so, well, or as Simmons perceived it for saying, "I don't know if anybody I- idea have any idea in the last same amount of time that James Harden had two shots. How many shots did Ben Simmons take? Uh, less. You sure? What? I mean, we know he didn't take the one at the end, but but are you sure he didn't take more than two shots or at least two shots? Oh, you mean in last year's playoff? Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm, I'm sure he actually did take more. I don't know. Yeah. That's what's so... It was two shots in the second half. You said two shots in the game, but it was two shots in the second half. It's two half. shots in the second half. Yeah, he only shot eight shots in the game, or nine shots in the game. No free throw. No, and it was the first time in his career he's been playing 13 years that he shot no free throws. And, and, look, those, t- and those two shots were outside three point, were outside the three-point arc. So he went. he didn't go anywhere near the basket. No, and... And when he did go anywhere, he was just looking for the foul all the time, which drives you nuts anyway. So, I mean, look at what the numbers are. They can talk about cap flexibility, but if they're in on Harden, should he exercise his option? That's $47 million. Now, he says whatever it takes to make the team better, he'll do. I would assume that he's still going to look for a five-year max deal, four-year max deal. With that next year, $47 million, you're talking about committing $270 million dollars over the next five years to a guy who couldn't take two shots in the fourth quarter of an Olympic. I don't think you can do it. Even if, even if it wasn't just this game, this is a guy who has broken down the last couple of years in an area that is critical to him, which is his hamstrings. And, and for a guy who doesn't appear to be able to keep himself in top shape. And as you get older, you have to keep yourself in better and better shape. Look at Chris Paul at 37. And the way he treats his body. Well, he's Look got- at James Harden, who every time he's about to force a trade, all of a sudden looks like he ate the basketball and then somehow gets himself in a little better shape when he comes to the new team. But I haven't figured out how he does that yet, but it can't be good for you. Do you think that James Harden's willing to adjust his game to be Chris Paul? Because Chris Paul's more of a facilitator. He's willing to take a shot, but he's Yeah, not- but have you seen Chris all. Paul at the end in the fourth quarter? Yeah, his energy, he's driving, he's aggressive, he's in the and, and he's running it, and he's a leader. Bingo. That's James Harden, the- James, where was James Harden a leader? Which team during the course of his 13 plus year or whatever was your career, when has James Harden ever been a leader? I'll just ask you this year, where was the leadership on this team? You're talking game six in Philly. You were there. You watched Doc. Embiid was, but, but Embiid could, you can't be a leader when you're literally, he was physically and, and, and psychologically just falling down yesterday. (sighs) What a time. I mean, he had, he had nothing. Anybody who wants to blame Joel Embiid for yesterday, other than he does fall a lot. The guy had nothing left. No, he had no backup. Look at, he was playing in a game after a week ago, having a concussion having the orbit fractured of his eye of having his, his, his thumb torn and his back is bad and he's playing and he could at least shoot the ball. Somehow James Harden does it. Yeah, it's definitely, I, I think worse than the loss. I like, which I don't know that surprised me. I'm, you know, they put us out of our misery was how they lost. It was the perceived being out hustled. And you know, that people always say this is a tough city they cheer effort. They cheer working hard. And this team just- There was no effort that. yesterday. No, none. Not They, they didn't box out. They don't, but worse, the players said it afterwards. Uh, that's what drove me nuts. They it, were all saying it. Mental toughness, and we were outworked. And it's like, if you can say this, the hell were you doing? 
The one, the one thing that bothers me most is, is you can see effort more on defense than you can in offense. And when you're having a bad game, when you're on offense, that's one thing. There's no reason to have a bad game on defense. And time after time after time, players from the Heat were slashing and taking five to seven feet foot shots. Wide open. And that should never, seven. ever happen. Wide open five yeah, to seven right. foot shots. And if because they, because they, it was a matador defense. And if they didn't take the wide open five to seven foot shot, they'd kick it out to the wide open three point shot where nobody would even try to close out when they were. Yeah. So, so seriously, if we could get Duncan Robinson here, I'll take his lack of defense. He can shoot and he will put in effort. Well, they're going to need somebody who can drop that three if they're not going to have Danny Green next year. Cause as much as I thought that he got older and wasn't what he was, they still need to have somebody who can knock down that shot and they don't have it yet. Well, when Danny Green is there, he's not knocking down that shot. For every, every three-pointer he hits, he hits two air balls. I mean, <laughs> this is his, his best days are, are long behind him. It's not for lack of effort. Uh, he was a good player for a long time, but he's, he's at the end of his career. And look, I hope he recovers completely from whatever injury he had last because it a, looked bad. He has a torn ACL. And we'll yeah. But, but I don't know if he comes back from at this point. At this point, that was an ugly injury. You yeah. did see that. All right, I'm, I'm going to close on a happier note for me. Uh, in addition to the Sixers, yesterday was a special day, Jeff. Schedule release day. Oh, that's you and your. The good news is we don't have enough time to actually go through each minutes. game, so you can predict what the record is going to be. We've got <laughs> two minutes. The Phillies, the Phillies, the Eagles have five primetime games and a Saturday game on Christmas Eve against the Cowboys. Jeff. Did you already put, you already placed your predictions for what their record's going to be based no, on I their schedule? Stuff. And I didn't do the like, Oh, somebody leaked the game here. Or we know, you know, but they, their first home game of the season will be Monday night against the Vikings at Lincoln financial field. Look, it's hard for somebody who's a season ticket holder that you have five primetime games for, you know, out of your eight in the season plan. Remember, you've got 18 games this year. Yeah, well, make sure that you have lots and lots of warm clothing. You got any thoughts on the new broadcast voices we're going to hear this year before we are you are you counting Tom Brady on that? (laughs) <laughs> well, he's eventually going to be it like for like $375 million, which the, look, up. there's a, there's a chance that, I mean, the ten, if you look at the, the schedules, Tampa Bay, their first four games are crazy and they could be 0 and four after that. So by the end of the season, Tom Brady could be calling the Super Bowl. Well, actually, I don't know if Fox has a Super Bowl this year, but they could be calling the playoff games. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Jeff Cohen reviewing schedules in May and deciding that Tampa Bay could start Owen. You sucked me in. That's right. I am rubbing off on you. It is definitely happening. Look, the the thing that we the the thing that we are going to be talking about shortly is is a little bit of of minor league and baseball memories with Mike Costanzo. But you know, we should tell people now, and also you'll you'll hear it hopefully when we talk to him later on is to talk about mental health awareness that yeah it's month. A, we're gonna have him on and talk about mental health awareness and then we'll, we'll have a little more to say about it afterwards but it's an important time and and athletes speaking up we've had some athletes in this city who have been very public about their challenges that they've faced and tried to spread a light on it for other people so jeff why don't we hit the break and we'll come back we'll talk to mike costanzo and keep going let's do it all right stick with us operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains and the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. 
They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. All right. Great to get a few minutes with former Major League Baseball player Mike Costanzo, local guy. Mike, thanks so much for the time. How you doing today, man? Fantastic. I appreciate you guys having me. So, Mike, uh, we, we have all sorts of questions about uh, baseball, but before we get there, unless I'm wrong... Today is the 10th anniversary of your Major League debut. It, you couldn't pick a better day, guys. Yes. So, it, was, it was Mother's Day, too. It was Mother's Day. Yeah. Pink bat and all got a uh, sacrifice fly, and it's kind of a whirlwind. I got there like the third inning the night before, got on deck, didn't, didn't get on. They pulled me out from on deck, and then the next day my parents flew in, and uh, it was Mother's Day, and they got to see me. And there was like a three-hour rain delay, so they didn't miss it. <laughs> well, but before we talk more about that that major league debut and, and your your journey to get there, you mentioned your mom, and I, I heard a story that uh, when when you got drafted by the Phillies, you had a discussion with your mom and brought something special to your press conference with the Phillies. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about that. I just told the story yesterday, actually. So draft day, this is like dial up internet, AOL sitting in the basement here in crackling. And we got a phone call. I think I got drafted at like 1105 or something, somewhere around there. Um, and then the, they, the Phillies called me and they said, you know, we want you to come down press conference. How quick can you be there? We're like, we'll be there in three minutes because we're diehard Phillies fans. And this is great. So we get down there, press conference. Before we leave the house, everybody's fumbling. I got to look presentable. Uh, we had flown in from Arizona on a red eye the night before, and we're shuffling around and everything, and we're getting ready to leave. And my mom's like, oh, my God, you got to bring this. And she went upstairs and brought down. I got brought home when I was born in a Phillies jacket. So I brought it down, got to the press conference. There was like 100 cameras felt like a thousand and i said i thanks everybody i don't know why i felt like i had an opening statement but i did it anyway <laughs> and i said i wanted to show everybody how big of a phillies fan i am i don't think i'm fitting it anymore and i showed it and it was like shotgun of flashes and lights it was pretty cool so i was gonna ask if you still fit in the outfit i would assume no at that point you know i i don't even think my foot fits in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know we we talk a lot of players about their minor league journeys you're, you're somebody who came through the cape cod baseball league you you get drafted by the phillies like we're talking about you end up in reading in 2007 and are an Eastern League All-Star hitting 27 home runs and 86 RBIs at third base. What was your Reading experience like for you and the All-Star experience? That was a that was the best year prior to getting called up uh, in my minor league career. And I joke with everybody now saying, you know, if I only hit like 15 home runs, maybe I wouldn't have been traded and I would have been a Philly and stuff like that. But all jokes aside, it was, it was awesome. I lived at home. My mom worked in Exton, so I would stop there and have lunch before I went to the ball field. And, you know, it, it was awesome. I, I slept in my bed every night on, on home games. It's only 
45 minutes to an hour, depending on traffic. So it was awesome. My parents came to every game. Um, it just was really, and, and they do it different than every other minor league franchise or whatever you call them. It's just, a, it's a different atmosphere. There's tens of 10,000, six to 10,000 fans every night. And it's just like baseball, you know, it's old school baseball meant uh, atmosphere and mentality and it's what i grew up with watching the phillies so you know mike even even though it even though it was old school baseball minor league baseball has kind of gone through an evolution hopefully for the better over the last few years um what have you seen now you were lucky enough to to live at home during a season but you saw some of your teammates it wasn't easy to get by as a minor league player but what, what was your experience in seeing some of your teammates and the struggles to make a decision about whether they could continue to play baseball and pursue their passions when well, it's funny when, every yeah, yeah. Man. Ahead, any, any, any time everybody thinks like professional baseball is glamorous and all that. And for some people it is, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of people that are paycheck to paycheck. Um, and the paychecks are $600 every two weeks in minor leagues. Everybody knows that that's public knowledge now because of the lawsuits that people are trying to, to get the wages lifted up. But it's, uh, it's really, really hard mentally, financially for people that didn't, I was fortunate enough to get a nice signing bonus because I was drafted early, but uh, there's guys that, that had to stop playing simply because they couldn't afford it. Um, and then you mix in the physical aspect where you see guys that get hurt early and they're done if there's really no investment in them. So it's kind of like I was on both sides because Phillies invested a lot of money. Then I got traded twice. So I had to re-earn, you know, my 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 keep there. So and then I kind of journeyed around. And when I finally got, got the shot, it was absolutely worth everything and I would not change it for the world. You know, when we've talked to players, Jeff and I did a minor league show for a couple of years, and we'd always hear, particularly at Lakewood, or now Jersey Shore, the, the long bus rides that you have, Reading as well. Okay. Um, tell us about the camaraderie you had in the minor leagues with some of your teammates. What was that experience like, not just playing baseball, but learning life with a bunch of guys trying to chase their own dreams too? Well, that's the best part. Everybody has a common goal. You are good friends with your closest competition because you're taking ground balls with them every day. So it's like a mix of emotions. But that's the one thing I really, really miss is going to the ballpark, hanging out in the clubhouse, you know, mess, messing around and playing cards after while you're icing and heating everything under the sun so you can play the next day. Um, but I really, I really miss it. I don't, I don't miss the bus rides for one second. I don't <laughs> miss the, the, you know, the physical physicality of it. I mean, were, were you a cards? Were you a cards guy league. on the bus? Oh yeah, cards guy, and and yeah, I was in the back making noise. <laughs> so I, there was a, there was a group of us that uh, were the card players and loud music players, and that was I was part of them. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I missed it, before and after the games. But physically, I mean, people don't realize you're playing 142 to 162 games, depending on the level. And 100 back then, it was 175 game five days. And if you take away All Star break, which is three days, it's like you have 10 days off, and 
five months, batting practice, game, post game, workout, family. I mean, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was awesome and I wouldn't change it, but it's very, it's a lot more taxing on your body than people think. Mike, one, of the, one of the things that, um, the minor leagues is trying to address and hopefully the major leagues will address shortly thereafter is, is something my pet peeve, which is the shift, which became prevalent after, after your time. Um, what would it have been like for you? How would it have changed things for you, especially as an infielder by trade to, to field in a shift situation and what would it would be like for as a hitter and, and what are your opinions on them? Later in my career, they started doing the shift on me just because I was left-handed, but I, I can hit the ball opposite field, so I would drop down on every once in a while just to mess with them. Um, I, can't, I can't stand it. I think it's it's messing with, you know, they're talking about pace of play and everything. It takes a long time for them to get into position and then get back. And I just think it's taken away from the integrity of baseball with, like, the computerized strike zones and stuff like that part of like the greatest moments in baseball and any sport are, are like referees or umpires errors or not errors that dictate the outcome of games. Like um, the perfect game that he was safe on, that he was clearly out the tuck rule with Tom Brady, stuff like that. Kind of, I don't know. I like, I like the human aspect of it and don't want a computer telling me if a ball crosses the plate or whatever. Well, Jeff was already a fan of you, but he definitely likes you more now that you're opposed to the <laughs> shift. Anybody who's anti-shift, Jeff will get behind. Uh, I, just, I just don't think that's the way the game's supposed to be played. They should then change the base. The bases are 90 feet for that because they're the nine positions you play. The mound's 60 feet, six inches, because that was how it was invented by Mr. Doubleday himself. So I just don't like changing things. I'm a creature of habit along with 99% of baseball players just because of our schedules. And I, I, I don't, I don't like it personally. I, in my opinion, doesn't matter. So, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned habit and we, we talk with athletes about habit and routine and all of a sudden you're a local guy who gets drafted by the team you came home in their outfit from. And, and the next day you're part of one of those big trades and you're not here anymore. So first I should say, thank you because you helped yeah. us win the World Series by landing us Brad Lidge. But at the I same – Thank you for my, my family and my cousins for that. It's, <laughs> it's like, oh, you're – this is a joke. I was, I was going to ask, like, do they give you a hard time? Like, you helped us win a World Series, but, like, we weren't here for it. They, they... I'm 100% I'm a Italian, and I have a lot of stone, stone breakers in my family, so – That's yes, what I, I figured. I, I still hear it. I mean, I haven't played in a while, and I'm still hearing it. I was at a wedding last week. They were like, like – my second cousin came up and was like, hey, that was so cool when you got traded. I was like, no, it <laughs> You're like, no, it wasn't. So you what get, are you talking about? You get traded, and you know you think you're going to be set, get set up someplace else. You're in Houston for 34 days before you get traded yeah. again. What was that like, your 34 days in Houston and getting traded twice from the team you grew up watching now to a second team and now to a third team? You know, the – the first one really caught me off guard because I was in the Arizona Fall League. I wasn't lighting it up or anything. So I uh, just met with the front office, Pat Gillick, uh, Ruben Morrow, Steve Navarita, Mike Arbuckle were down there. And the day before, they were like, just keep going. I know it's a long year. I played 
all but one game, I think, in Reading that year. So I was like exhausted. It's 105 degrees in Arizona and saw them the day before. And then fast forward to the next day, it was like nine o'clock their time. Yeah. Nine o'clock Arizona time. And Ruben Amaro called and was like, Hey, just wanted to let you know I was trade. I was like, what? And I was like, well, for, but hopefully it was good. He was like, you and Michael Bourne got sent to Houston um, where Ed Wade is now. And it was for Brad Lidge. I was like, oh, okay. So what do I do? He's like, Ed will probably call you. Hon- honest to God, within a minute, it was on the bottom line in ESPN. I was like, thank God I answered the phone, you know, or I would have <laughs> found out, like, because there was no social media back there. So there was no, like, rumblings or trade MLB trade room. You had to log on the, the URL, and it was different back then. So I had – it was just a blindsiding experience. And then I'm home. 34 days later eating bowl of cereal and dad actually called he's like uh ed wade just called me because he thinks i guess he thought i lived at at my house where i got drafted at and he's like uh he's gonna call i think he just got traded to the orioles um and he thought he ed thought my dad was me so he told him obviously and then ed called chimed in and called so it was just i was just like what's going on and then worked out all off season in baltimore but yeah it, it it's not going to lie. It sucked. I, I saw myself as the Phillies third baseman for the future. And at that time they were, they brought up, you know, Ryan chase, Jimmy, Carlos Ruiz, everybody was like homegrown Cole. And I was like, I felt like I was the first, like the finishing infield piece to say that it was all homegrown. And obviously it's a business and you find out the hard way. And when you're 22, you don't understand that, but you, uh, it's, it was mentally exhausting that off season. And I just, I mean, after that, I just had a little chip on my shoulder and went into an order organization and that was it. And you fast forward then to 2012 and, and all the hard work and all the years of traveling on buses, uh, finally pay off. As you say, there was a long rain delay, but you finally get into your first major league game. What what's the experience like when they announce your name the first time that you're going up to the plate and and what are the emotions that you go through as you as you walk up there and then as the first pitch is thrown to you? Yeah. So I had a routine um when I was on deck and everything and I knew I knew I was my debut. I knew I was going to hit for the pitcher because he was done. And I I was on deck and I was like this is actually happening right now. And I just, it was like another at bat just with more people and bigger stadiums and third deck and millions of people watching. So I, I just got into the batter's box and I locked in and I was fortunate enough he threw me a fastball and I hit a sack flat at left field. So it was all, it was, it was unbelievable experience. And, and then the following week I got my hit in Yankee stadium and that completely different experience. You're, knees are shaking and the stadium rumbles it's just a different ball game so you get your first hit at yankee stadium off ivan nova and uh derek jeter brings the ball over for you to save what is it like for a kid who grew up just wanting to play baseball came home in his phillies outfit to find himself in yankee stadium and see derek jeter taking a ball across the field for him to save forever and 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 it's funny because i i played in the world baseball classic in 09 and I got in the elevator, and I was on Team Italy. We shared with USA, uh, Canada, and um, Venezuela. 
I get on the on the elevator. It's me, Mike Schmidt, Derek Jeter, Chipper Jones, and Davey Johnson. I'm like, what am I doing? Here? <laughs> and I've always had like the utmost respect for for Derek Jeter, and then for him to even not like I. You watched the video, and he knew it was my first hit, and just threw it in to A Rod, and they threw it into the dugout. It was just kind of cool. Um, and I got to second base. The next pitch was uh, the guy after me got hit, and I got to second. I said, "I appreciate it." He's like, "Congratulations!" And I said, three thousand and fifty more, and I'm catching you." <laughs> and he, just, he just laughed and and walked away. So it was uh, it's cool. I the the guys the like, the face of baseball now obviously and he's just the biggest class act it was really cool that he acknowledged it what a cool experience you know you mentioned you mentioned the mental toll that the trades took on you and something you and i had talked about was the mental side of sports it is mental health awareness month and and before we Mm -hmm. finish up with you i wanted to talk about the mental side of sports talked about some of the challenges you faced as a player and about how athletes becoming more public about the challenges they face is not only important for them, but can help others too. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a huge, huge proponent of it, huge advocate. Um, it, it's just, it's playing, playing baseball. There's, there's obviously it's a game of failure. So you have to be cool with being good and failing seven times out of 10. You have to get up every day get prepared physically take care of your body and all that stuff kind of like just like snowballs and snowballs and then it's like an eruption and then people get like i don't know panic attacks or anxiety and stuff like that but i was lucky enough to not have to deal with that because i i speak i still do to this day um with my my sports psych guy and it's joe dowling he uh he's he completely changed my thought process and positivity after getting traded a couple times. And, you know, I, I give him a lot of credit. It's a lot, the, your, your coach, your, your mental strength coach, but it's a lot like inside of you that you have to realize that you need to do or not do to focus on like making yourself happy, emotionally available, you know, physically ready to go. That's like, when I when you get on a off a bus after seven o'clock game, you get there at, at ten in the morning, and then you have you have to go to the, the ballpark to hit batting practice and get ready to go, and you're judged on it, and you're there to in front of a lot of people. That messes with a lot of people. Just the thought of it, and then you have to actually do it. So there's multiple levels of it, and like I said about when I got my first at bat, it's like going into your zone. And my, uh, I'm actually like chapter seven. He wrote a book. It's called Zonefulness. I, it's an unbelievable read. You read it in a day on the beach. It's that good. But they're all little documentaries of different zones and different athletes and their successes and fa- failures and how you can learn off of it. So I, uh, I, I still do it. I go see him, talk to him all the time just to, you know, keep fresh and, everybody has doubt something happens at work something happens at home your kids how to how to manage that and how to manage people and your relationships and you know i i'm sure like baseball players are angry we fail seven times out of ten so there's the anger management aspect but you know it's 
so important and I think it's undervalued still and it's still aware I should be that should be a coach on a team and what's cool Joe uh, Dowling's at, at University of Penn he's on the, on the basketball bench he does women's lacrosse for Rutgers and all these other sports and then does his individual stuff helped out the Eagles a couple years ago so I just think that it's awesome that it's like the awareness and but I think there needs to be another layer of actually doing it. I'm an aggressive doer, so I, I try to help everybody I can, even people I don't know that I see that are depressed and stuff like that. And it just takes like one conversation to have somebody's mind change, kind of more positive and see life in different aspects. So, well, we will keep having that conversation with yeah. you and with others to raise awareness and. We really appreciate the time you gave us to talk about your journey. What a crazy ride. Uh, thanks so much yeah. for the time, Mike. You have a wonderful day. Thank you, both of you. I appreciate it. And thanks for, for bringing more awareness to, to that, that cause. It's, it's pretty cool. Thanks, Mike. You got it, guys. Thank you. Jeff, I love when we get to talk to different people and get their perspectives. And, and while his journey is fantastic, he mentioned the mental strain, getting traded twice, leaving his team dealing with failure all the time. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, so we wanted to close on that note. I personally appreciate when athletes are open about this as a younger person who followed sports and believed that strength meant toughness and mental health didn't sort of comport with that. Uh, the fact that athletes are more open about the challenges that they have, I think is important for everybody and for themselves so they don't have to keep it inside. So I appreciated Mike being so open about that with us. Yeah, I appreciated it too, because athletes go through a lot, you know, different than anybody else, but they seem to have, you know, there's this perception that athletes are these tough individuals who can conquer anything. Um, and they're not superhuman. They have, they have gifts and talents that most of us don't, don't have, including hitting a baseball, but the fact is, it's so important that they're able to be in touch now with their own issues and also to be able to say it so that young kids and adults alike are looking at them and saying, it's okay to discuss this. It is. And, and the conversations I find less judgmental now. I find them more informative. People talking about the challenges they go through instead of somebody looking at them and saying, well, why do you go through that? Why do you have that problem? It seems like... And that's the stigma around this is just getting through that part of it to realize, like you said, athletes are just like everybody else. They have challenges at home. They have challenges in their life. They have challenges in their professional life as they chase their career. They strike out or fail at seven out of 10 times. So the ability- If they're good at it. If they're good at it. So the ability mm -hmm. for people to have short memories, to be able to manage those failures and learn from those mistakes and overcome them in sports or in life is just as important. But I think the fact that athletes are there because they're so prominent in the public eye talking about it, I hope helps other people who are struggling with challenges to start to ask for help and realize it's okay. I hope so. And I th hope that people take advantage of, of mental health, health, I'll say it right, mental health awareness month but not just this month it's important to take care of yourself every day yeah look if you're if you're 
check engine light came on, you take your car in for a tune-up. You got to make sure. Well, some people don't. <laughs> they don't. And the, and the car eventually breaks down and you don't want your yes. body or your mind to break down. So exactly. we will leave it there. Jeff, any final words before we say goodbye? No. No, no, speechless after that Sixers game. No, that, that, that's why. Like, look, you want to end on a positive note. And as somebody who was in that arena last night, I got no. So you're saying I asked the wrong person to say goodbye. I just should have taken it myself, ended happy. You should have just said, you, you're just as unhappy as I am. But I'm you faking it really You just weren't there good. to see it. I'm faking it really good. No, I sat there and watched the press conference afterwards and got more mad. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.